0: Oh, man, I just lost a chunk of my nest egg in the market whipsaw. Oh, sorry to hear that. Looks like I'll be wearing a yellow apron well into my 70s. Welcome to wall... Hey, don't get down. Get educated. Listen to the Total Financial Hour with host Air of Sundays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. What did you learn? How not to go backwards with the market, my friend, and have the opportunity to move forward with market growth. That's exactly what I need. So learn about your financial power with the Total Financial Hour, Sundays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. here on am 870. The answer.
1: financial security will help you live the life you dream learn
0: about financial power total financial power
1: now higher income strategy
0: learn from arab
1: Hallop. hey welcome to the show thanks for being here huh. I'm Eric Halliby. The Total Financial Hour, talking about your family's finances, of course, getting out of debt, managing money, planning for the future. That's what we're talking about. Uh, one of the things that's very interesting when we kind of go backwards in time is we think about ideas and decisions that were made by people that seem to know what they were doing or were supposed to. Think of it for just a second. You have a congressman or woman. You have a, a state assemblyman or woman, state senator, U.S. senator. These people are are on committees. I mean, they have information that you and I can never get because they have top secret clearances. In fact, they have the highest secret clearances. And here's a, I don't know if it's a dirty secret, but it's pretty dang close. Think about this for a second. If you are a U.S. congressman, you are not required to go through any background investigation to get exposed to all of the secrets, all of the information that would be required to go through a background check and a top secret clearance, FBI interviews, etc. In fact, if you are elected to, to Congress, it is assumed that you are to have the highest level of security clearance. Now, there is a kind of a need-to-know thing, right, where if you're in the Energy Committee, you're not going to find out uh, top secret stuff necessarily of what's going on in the, oh, Foreign Relations Committee, right? So so there is some compartmentalization. But how hard is it for you to create something in your committee that has a reference to another point and to get that information or that data? Meaning people that are elected in some of these highest offices do not go through the same background or check as a person who is an FBI agent, for example, or a Secret Service agent. Or are you ready for this? When I was a Los Angeles policeman, I was in background investigations. And as a background investigator, we had to sit down and do somewhere around a hundred contacts. I mean, you realize that a hundred contacts. Your neighbor next door, your neighbor across the street, your neighbor upstairs, downstairs, co-workers, supervisors, subordinates, current girlfriend, boyfriend, previous, all of your siblings. Any cousin that we would get and on and on. It was over 100 contacts in most cases. Zero goes on. So then you might say, well, we're gonna, we're gonna push that over to the American media. That's their job to vet, right? That word vetting. It's to go through to make sure they're right. They're telling the right stories. They're, they're honest and on and on. We're gonna vet them. Except the American media never vets liberals, never vets Democrats. So now what do you have in in place in all of these offices, right? Whether it's again a mayor running for office, a, a city councilman, all of them are quote supposed to be vetted by the American people, but doesn't get doesn't take place never, doesn't happen. How do we know this? Well, because if you look across the country, the state attorney generals, the election commissioners, the people that are supposed to be the ones that are babysitting uh, you know, our cities, our, our states, our, our counties, in Jackson, Mississippi. The mayor of Jackson, Mississippi, is somebody who has chosen to be a complete and total socialist. In fact, his job was to completely tear down, in his words, the system to revolt and create an opportunity to do what he called a revolution. I'm paraphrasing but really it's not much. Not much of a difference. Lumumba, I might be pronouncing it incorrectly, so Mayor Lumumba, Choque Lumumba, made it very clear that as a mayor he was going to make some big changes. Well, Here's one of the changes. Hey guys in Jackson, Mississippi, did you want clean water? Nope, sorry. Right? There's a few things you can do to shut down a complete society. One of those is energy, gas, electric power, uh, natural gas. The other is water. You can't flush toilets. You can't create Uh, a healthy cleansing uh, scenario in, in, in your body, right? I mean, you can't even, ready for this, you can't even make food at a restaurant. Which means businesses go out of business. Which means you can't keep your doors open to the public because there's no public or even private restroom for people to use, and on and on. When he said he wanted to fully radicalize his city, this is what it meant. 34 years old, okay, well, that's fine. His age, listen, if he has the wisdom to seek the advice and counsel of others that have been there, done that, then I'm all for it. Then the age is irrelevant to me. But there still has to be some sense of wisdom. Now you might go, Arif. Jackson, Mississippi is so far away. Can you say Los Angeles City Council? Can you say... Uh, County of Los Angeles Board of Supervisors who let's be clear for a minute the County of Los Angeles Board of Supervisors you know that they do not have anybody that they are daily accountable to they're accountable to the taxpayers to the voters but when 4 years from now oh wait they control the narrative through the media surprise no accountability why do you think they want to control the mayor uh, the the sheriff Right? I mean, you realize that their goal is to get in and control the sheriff's uh, position because he currently bucks their trend, which is less freedom, which is more crackdown, which is less of a sense of who they are as uh, Americans and more of a sense of who they are as a socialist society. And then how does that transfer to you and I? Well, now you you take a look at Congress, people that have no uh, background investigations. And remember, we counted on the American media. Well, they didn't do it. So there's no background investigations. So you get, oh gosh, let's think about this for a minute. When you and I are sitting down and you have a boss that you have to report to, your boss still requires things, right? Right? But when Swalwell, Congressman Eric Swalwell, comes along and has a Chinese spy in his office, and nobody says anything, when Diane Feinstein, for twenty plus years, has a Chinese spy in her office, and nobody says anything, she's still a U.S. senator. I mean, do you understand that? She has a Chinese spy. In her office, in her car with her, quote, he was the driver. Do you not think that she's on any kind of conversations about anything sensitive over the last 22 years? The Chinese government has been eating our lunch. They, they have been coming along and doing whatever they wanted. They have had and have people in positions of power. They have the Biden administration and all of the people that are part of it all of them got payoffs they're all just like the typical trader types that that say give me some checks give me some money give me the the house on the caribbean goodbye and they leave right so when there's no power check of this group of people and then we and there's no real educational experience in fact that they don't have any clue on how money works right the Biden administration doesn't have anybody that's ever run a business on its cabinet, they're all academics or all former government employees, current government employees. They never had any background on what to do or how to manage a business, right? Build a product, create something, sell it. Nothing. So is it any surprise that they come along and they say, we're going to give out this $10,000 per student forgiveness loan they, they say that they're going to use deficit spending. In other words, what they did, let's think about this for a second. You said, well, Arif, I'm in debt each month. That means I make $10,000 a month and I spend 11000 But I want you to know I just paid off my car. So I make 10000 a month. I paid off my car for $500 a month. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy a motorcycle for $500 a month. You said, but, but you're still upside down. Right, you're bringing in ten thousand, and you're spending eleven. I, I get it that there's five hundred dollars savings. Great job, but you're still not below. You're still not under under. Your head's not above water, people. So what do we think when we go through this? Well, number one, we have to ask ourselves: Are they doing this on purpose because nobody vetted them, nobody understood them as uh, anybody with any intelligence financially speaking, or are these people? That are purposely put in place to undermine our system. Are they in place to create a collapse of the U.S. economy? Because you see, all you have to do is allow, I don't know, a distrust of our voting system? I mean, you know this, right? Right? Watch 2,000 Mules, Dinesh D'Souza's movie. It'll indicate to you very clearly how the system through these well it's a COVID rule Well, people won't leave their home we're going to give this mandatory I had somebody in my office this last week said Arif 16 years ago our daughter moved out 16 years ago we never received a a ballot vote by mail ballot from her at all never she's never lived here for 16 years the other day we get a voter pamphlet in the mail Vote by mail. A ballot for her. Vote by mail. 16 years ago. Explain to me if that doesn't undermine the credibility and the faith that you have in the election system. Right? Whose idea is it to undermine our system? And when you open your mouth and when you say something, they go, oh, 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 you're a racist pig. Remember we told you that. Now it's white supremacist. They'll be doing that for a while. I'm not sure what's next. Oh, I know. We should hold, we, we should hold like a, like a contest. What word will the left think of next to call people that they disagree with? Um, racist? Okay, that's taken. Sorry, Bill. Bing! Can't, nope, nope, no voids. Uh, white supremacist? Mary, that's the current word. You gotta think of something different. You have one strike left before it goes over to the other family. (laughs) We should create a a game show like that. Next, after the break, right? What this does is is it allows you to think for just a second how silly but how mechanical and how most people, and this is important, how most people have created this environment where they just go to work. They worry about their kids. They worry about their life. They're not involved with the day-to-day. Uh, I mean, listen, you, if you watch the the news and it gets in, involved and does the, oh, by the way, we're going to be giving away student loan uh, forgiveness, and, yeah, you know what, that's not a bad idea. Okay, that's good. People just kind of walk along life and think that's not a bad idea. Why? Because, I don't know, they're, they're busy making dinner and picking up kids, and and they've got to get this project done for school tomorrow. And the left knows that. They put people in power that have never been vetted, never been uh, reviewed. And they get involved and pass these silly rules like uh, you know, wind turbines and, and shut down our system for natural gas, which we have more natural gas, guys, than just about anybody in the world. In fact, they call us the Saudi Arabian of natural gas. And I remember as a kid doing a, a project in school, because remember, all of you are, are liberal Democrats when you're in college. You get out, right? But So I'm one of those. says, let's get off fossil fuels. It's only, what, 40 years ago, 35 years ago? And I'm writing this report, and I said, by the, the year 2000, Saudi Arabia and the entire Middle East will be out of oil. I cited chapter and verse. I went over the... The page number that it was on, remember you have to do that? Footnotes, you have to go through and here's what it is, here's what I'm seeing. Well, why is that a big deal? Uh, In case you haven't noticed, we're past 2020, uh, uh, 2000, the year 2000. I remember 1985, uh, killer bees were coming, remember that? Uh, Remember the ozone? Why don't we hear about the ozone anymore? Oh, because it's not shrinking anymore. Oh, it's actually rebuilding itself. Why? Because it actually does that regularly, doesn't it? And how about global cooling? Global cooling was the big deal. Cover of Newsweek article. Sci- uh, scientists agree. Newsweek, take a look. If, you, if uh, Google and Yahoo haven't scrubbed it yet, it's pretty clear. Scientists agree. Now, I remember most of you celebrated... When Google said its goal or its mission was to take every single book ever published in the world and digitize it. I mean, people celebrate it. You mean to tell me I never have to worry about uh, this particular author's books disappearing forever or ever have to worry about you a know, Bible manuscript? disappearing or, or the first edition of something. Nope, nope. It's going to be scanned. It's going to be on the system. It's going to be here forever. What? Surprise. Guess what Google does now? Well, we're going to restrict what you can see. Do you remember that? Everything was going to be on a tablet. It was going to be on electronic version. Today, people are publishing books and they don't even go to paperback. How hard is it for a 24-year-old with a few keystrokes, his shoe's untied, and he doesn't brush his hair or his teeth, and he sits at a computer, because, what, I'm working from home because of COVID, and, and decides that you're not going to have access to that book. Or the author is too divisive. Ooh, Mark Twain. How dare we? Come on, Mark Twain. You racist. Right? I, listen, Tucker Carlson had an interview this week uh, you know when he does his Fox nation stuff and it talks about the movement of a mindset of people and how revolutions form I'm very sad to say but I, I think some really bad stuff is coming I, I don't know what it is I wish I wasn't that guy that had to tell you this I I have children and want to have grandchildren someday right I, I'm hopeful I'm not that person it's just I feel that we just might be. I think there are too many of you that are afraid to offend people. Good people, by the way. You guys are good people. But you don't want to make any waves. You don't want to offend anybody. Listen, it's not, look, you do your thing, I'll do mine. The problem is, they are doing their thing and they are doing your thing. So you don't even get to do my... I'm going to do my thing, they do their thing. No, no, no. The other person is doing yours and theirs, by the way. Just so you know. They're restricting yours and theirs. They get to do whatever they want. You don't. You have to understand this. This is not a small thing. I don't know the answer, except you do a couple of things. Number one, you go and you run for all these boards. Right? Jackson, Mississippi... Whoever's on that waterboard are corrupt, you can tell, because they didn't fix this crisis. It is not a very wealthy state. In fact, it's one of the poorest states in the nation. But it has money, it has lots of money. And it has the ability to fix its problems. Governor Tate Reeves was very smart. Maybe five years ago, started implementing a plan to go after the roads and bridges there. He said, You guys haven't fixed this thing for quite a long time. I'm going to start fixing bridges. I don't know how many thousands of bridges there are in that country, uh, in that state, because they have rivers everywhere, so there's bridges everywhere, right? It's a a southern state where there's creeks and rivers and streams and all sorts of things. And he decided, I'm going to go after that. I'm going to fix that. Trusting that the mayor is going to take care of it. So, well, wait, let's go back to Flint. What's the common denominator between Flint and Jackson, Mississippi? Same race mayors. Listen, I I didn't play this game. I think we're supposed to be decent people or not. But remember, you're doing your thing and you're doing my thing. And my thing is you're calling everybody by their race. All right, then let's just do that. Let's talk about that. Right? Remember, it was an American of African descent. That's what Ronald Reagan called people. But you can't divide people because Africa has Arabs. It has black people. It has white people in the South. So Africa is not one color you have tall people you have short people you have really smart people and you have not so smart people you have very cultured and educated and you have not so very cultured or educated right because africa is a continent it's not a it's not a country but what mr reagan would do is something very simple he said you are an american of african descent You're an American of Italian descent. You're an American of Lebanese descent. That's what he said. Because he said you were an American first. Big deal. For eight years, people did that. Maybe even under George Bush, you know, one. Maybe that was his deal, too. I don't recall. But I do know that in this process, it started bringing people together, didn't it? It started putting you and me as Americans first. Well there's no power to the left when that happens. There's no power to the to the liberals whose job it is is to destroy this country. It's no pro- there's no power to the Chinese and to a lesser extent by far the Russians. There's no power to them if you love America first cuz guess what you will fight for? America. Because what's the common denominator between somebody from Washington state and somebody from Texas, somebody from California and somebody from Oklahoma? It's American. Their goal is to separate that, and the most divisive people find it by race. So then you just look at the crimes that are committed, right? It's what 96 percent of the crimes, the hate crimes against Asians, are committed by blacks. I don't make the rules. Look at the FBI statistics if they even, you know, publish them anymore. They're supposed to, but let's see if they do armed robberies, burglaries. Listen, let's be smart for a minute. It's one or two percent. It's not, but you're not putting them in jail, right? When I was a policeman, we used to do the three strikes rule. It was very simple. Three strikes rule and you would go to jail. I remember arresting a guy. He was a white guy, if that even mattered back then. I don't even recall. But I remember having him in my police car and he said, you know, officer, this is going to be my second strike. After this, I'm gone to Phoenix. Um, so what do you mean? He said, well, I just can't afford to be arrested again because then I'd go away for, for 25 years. So as soon as I get out of jail, I'm gone. That's a good thing, right? I mean, you guys realize that that's why crime decreased. Because one in two strike people were afraid to lose their freedom, so they leave. And the bad guys that who couldn't care less, guess what? They were in jail. Oh, but you were housing all these people. Well, then solve the housing problem, not the simple, uh, not the symptom. Right? The symptom is they're committing crime. The, the the bottom line for them, culturally speaking, um, individually speaking, family speaking, is there wasn't any dad in the house. Oh, that's so racist. No, no, no. Remember, it's white supremacist. That's the new word. Look, who do you think? Some of this, I remember speaking on, on the radio probably 15, well maybe maybe less than that, maybe 12 years ago. And of the top wealthiest Americans, 10 of the top wealthiest, this is before the tech uh, boom and all that. Top 10 wealthiest Americans, five of them were African American, five of them were black, right? We had Oprah, we had Bill Cosby, we don't I know no comments. <laughs> Oprah, we had Bill Cosby, we had Michael Jordan. We had uh, the guy, the gentleman who created BET television. I forget the fifth. These were very wealthy people, billionaires, in fact, back when one or two or three billion meant a lot. Today, not really. So you got to ask yourself this question. If that's the case, right, then where, tell me where, tell me why, did we end up where we are today? Well, because you have to keep people divisive. You have to tell them that their race matters. The race doesn't matter. It doesn't. You have two eyes, two ears. Yep, let's go to work. You can wake up in the morning. Yep, let's go to work. But the left's job is to call everybody their race. Why do you think they've walked down this road of openly discriminating in Minnesota or Wisconsin where they, they're going to fire white teachers first? Why, why isn't the, the De- Department of Justice in there with the raid and the state taking over the school board and collapsing the system and saying, that's it. All of you leadership that have never been vetted, that are racist pigs, you're out, gone. We will not fire people or hire people based on their race. But you see, that undercurrent continues, doesn't it? So they collapse... One of the largest capitals, sorry, one of the largest cities in the capital of Mississippi, right? Jackson, Mississippi, it's the capital. Can you imagine if Sacramento says, oh, we're a corrupt state, city, we have no water. I'm Arab Halaby. Stay with me. We'll be right back.
0: Now learn from Halaby, learn about financial power, the total financial. Now, Araf has a plan for me. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, total financial power. Now, higher income strategy. Learn from
1: Arab Halabi. Learn about. Financial hey, welcome back. Thanks for staying with me. I'm Eric Hallaby. The Total Financial Hour, talking about your family's finances, of course, getting out of debt, managing money, planning for the future. That's what we're talking about. We saw reports this week that it's three to five years that the average student is back when it comes to math, when it comes to learning abilities. Now, not except for Gavin Newsom's kids, right? His school stayed in session. They didn't have a problem. But your kids, other kids, right? You're a single mom. You're a two-income family trying to make it. What was your son or daughter doing all day? Oh, you're supposed to log on, Junior. They never failed the kids, right? It was a participation trophy. So they just let them, you know, sit around and whatever grade they had in March is what the grade they got for that year. It was a horrible system. There are you guys, there are you educators out there that know that this is corrupt, but you could never bring yourself to not voting for the union or you could never bring yourself for actually voting for a Republican. Uh, I think you have to start thinking differently. I think you have to get through that part. That's This is the growth period in your life to look back like I did and others. For me, it was many decades ago. But I looked back as a policeman and I saw the, the policies that were happening on the streets. And I thought the policies that these people in the, the suits and ties, regardless of their race, both in City Hall and in Sacramento, that they were implementing, this is really what it was doing to the people on the street. And today it's even worse than that. And so what you ended up with is a group of people who live this life financially speaking, who are living check to check no different than they were 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. And now you have folks that are promising them student loan forgiveness, and this is a you know, mom, dad struggling, right? She went back to school, went back. We're going to forgive their student loans. But that's not who, that's not all who, who they're forgiving. They're going, oh, 125000 a year. Are you kidding me? That's as much as some governors and mayors make in some cities. That's ridiculous. So kind of keep this in mind. If you don't create some, uh, I guess it's just called accountability, Right? then who's going to? Because it's never going to happen. So you have to run for school board and water board and, and state uh, agencies and, and state district stuff. You have to get involved. Go to the meetings. I know it stinks. Because here's what they're going to do, whether you stomp your foot or whether you object. right? The moment they can call you a racist and you shut down, you've got to have courage and you say, no, I'm not. No, you're the racist. Right? Just throw it right back at him. You're the white supremacist. Well, I'm black. Well, you guys called Larry Elder the white supremacist, so here. Simple. You called Larry Elder the the black face of white supremacy. Remember that? So I don't think you understand, folks, that anybody can be a white supremacist, because that's the left's rules. They came along that. So here's my plan. Ready? Ready for a solution? Ooh, this is fun. Grab your pen and paper, because here's my solution. If you are one of those students or, or individuals that is going to have, or in my case, you know, maybe one of my kids who has some uh, master's degree uh, money that the, she still owes on her student loan, okay, fine. You're going to forgive it? For every dollar that you forgive of hers, I'm going to donate to either the master's university in Santa Clarita, Hillsdale College up in Michigan, or. Prager University. Because I, I think what you're doing is wrong. I'm going to divert your $10,000 in forgiveness to a church, charity, or an organization that combats you guys. We say to the left, well, Eric, if you don't know, I could really use it. I'm sorry, did you say you had integrity? Let's talk about this for a second. I know it's not easy. Oh, your payment is less than $200 a month. Then you write to a check for 200 a month. You don't have to have ten thousand in cash to give to to those organizations or others that you believe in. But this cannot be PETA or the F, you know, ASPCA or you know Amanda's Dogs or whatever. That there's a great, there's a lot of great charities out there. You know, some of them are wonky and not what I agree with, but it's your money. But my point, from an integrity standpoint, is you said you believe that this is a bad idea. And you want to combat it, and you say you're a conservative, you say America is going down the wrong tubes, and I tell you what, you need to donate that same $10,000 coming in the front door, you donate it to somewhere else. I gave you three examples Masters University, Hillsdale, Prager University. These are organizations that fight because what will happen coming down the road is they are going to silence myself, Tucker, Dennis Prager, Larry Elder, Sebastian Gorka, they will silence us because they have the power of the federal government. They have the power of the FCC, they have the power of the FBI and military and on and on. They're going to si- they'll find some reason. They'll use some regulatory this or you know, uh, FCC rule that. I mean, that's what they do, right? That's their job is to find a way to silence you. Because they are not decent people. And they're going to thrive. Because you and I are cowards. Oh wait, you're not a coward? Then you better learn to fight. And you better learn to fight hard. Because nobody else is going to fight for you. Nobody. Right? If you've raised your children, if you finished your career, a lot of your risk, a lot of the problems, they're done. So you're the one who has to fight. Because you have the time, you have the money, you have the less less risk. What can they do, right? DCA, that's how they use it. They use the L.A. County Department of Children's Services, DCS rather. They use them to go in and manipulate. They they SWAT people, right? So here's what you do. You don't have that risk anymore because you don't have minor children. You've seen what they do in, in movies. It's not that far away, right? They make some sort of allegation, the FBI didn't want anybody in Mar-a-Lago while they were doing it. Do you really think the FBI is not above planning evidence? Can you say Russia hoax? Christopher Steele, the dossier from the Hillary Clinton campaign. Can do you can you really tell me that that's not a possibility? That they will go along and push these poor people that are in solitary confinement in January 6th? Right, that a guy dressed up you know, in in, uh, a costume, right? I guess the 500-plus riots in the state capitals by Antifa and Black Lives Matter, those 500 riots, Portland, Seattle, and on and on, they were okay. Nobody said anything. And what they did in January 6th by raiding the Capitol, I wouldn't have done that, not even close. I don't think that's cool. But I wouldn't have done it in Portland stations either. Or Seattle City Council. I wouldn't have done that. So those people should be in trouble for trespassing or or damaging property, right? Vandalism, whatever it was. And and they should. But why isn't there accountability to the FBI guys that were sitting in the audience, right? Why why wasn't the, the guys that were pushing and pushing and pushing? Yeah, some of you don't even know that. There were undercover agents inside of there. Whether they're the ones that planted that bomb, the, the pipe bomb, right? Somebody did. Why don't we know who that is? They're just going to think you're going to forget about it. Outside of the D, D, uh, DNC. So my point is, these are not people that are are undefeatable. They are defeatable, Right? You have to... Sell what? Did you see what Florida did? The governor came in and wiped out those, those school boards and the attorney generals and some of the others and said, you guys aren't for the people. You're radicals, and we're not interested in that for our community. Go somewhere else. So how do you do it? Well, you might be the one, like Dennis says, you stand up and you fight. You support the fighters. But most of you are going to do nothing. If you benefited or your children benefited from that $10,000, whatever it ends up becoming, maybe more, student loan thing, well, fine. I'm going to donate it to Prager University. I'm going to donate it to the Masters University. Or to Hillsdale. That's a great idea. Right? You've heard me talk about before, I'm going to get into beneficiaries here at second part of the hour. And, and it's an interesting email because it's about the beneficiaries. And some of you might have heard this story. Oh my gosh, it will shock you how if you don't handle your beneficiaries correctly, there can be a big problem in the future and it's going to be left to those other people that you left behind. But one of the things that I will always recommend is what if you were to take the beneficiaries of your retirement accounts and you make that those organizations or others? Right, you don't have to give everything to anyone. You don't even have to give all of it. But what you can do is give a little bit to the organizations you support, because maybe you say, "Well, I'm not a fighter, Arif. I'm not going to run for office, Arif. I'm not even going to run around and put a sign in my front lawn because it gets vandalized and people, uh, you know, kind of come after me." So instead, once you pass away, what if you were to leave a portion of your retirement accounts? Here's why. Because I want you to leave. Here, here's our affluent clients when they pass away, and, and it's been odd, but it's been a, a weird year. We've had a few clients pass. It's it's a crummy time. And what's happened is this. When wealthy people, when our affluent clients pass away, they leave real estate they, to their children. They leave Roth IRAs to their children. They leave... Uh, uh, Stock market accounts, we call them brokerage accounts, that are not under a retirement account. So you buy stock X and that's your stock, fine, and it goes up in value. Well, with all of those that I'm talking about, with life insurance, you see all of that is tax-free, passed on to your kids. Important you know that, because why would you want to make sure that the state of California or the federal government gets more in money? then they should, right? Unless you agree with what they're doing, then, then fine. When you pass away, give your retirement accounts to your children. They're going to have to pay a third or half of it to the federal and state government combined. And that's the way it goes. Tough luck. Sorry about your estate. You worked your tail off so everybody else could be rich. Well, I want you to be rich. I want you to make money at the end of the story. I want you to be the person that has your values reinforced. So when we help people with reliable retirement income, the focus is to make sure your retirement accounts do their job. And what's their job? It's to give you a monthly income stream or annual, however you choose, but most people monthly, a monthly income stream that never goes away. Never. You see, a lot of people want to fight to put money aside for retirement. Wonderful. How you take it out is everything. Okay, so consider that. Now, I wanted to touch on something here because some of you have come to me and said, Eric, before I retire, I want to buy solar panels for my roof. Before I retire, I want to invest in a solar wind farm in the middle of wherever or, uh, you know, windmill uh, stocks. Okay. Well, you got to go back and ask yourself, where's that integrity? If you think they're doing the right thing, and maybe you do, many of you drive electric cars. You received subsidies from the plumbers and the other hardworking people. right? And by the way, plumbers are not broke. I I love it how we use plumbers. But I had some plumbing done recently. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Did I just pay for your kids to go to one semester of of Harvard? Because I don't know what's going on here. But I digress. The idea... That somebody else is going to, so there's a subsidy. Okay, fine. You might say, oh, oils have subsidies and pharmaceutical companies have subsidies. All right, whatever you want to say. But if you think adding solar panels is just about, uh, to your roof, is just about the idea, uh, of creating energy, let's think about this. Right? A lot of people were convinced to turn their own home into a, a solar energy or in this case, an electrical p- power plant. Okay. And they promised you all sorts of things. We're going to give you less rates. We're going to give you less discount. You can sell it back to us. So when you're traveling or vacationing and there's extra power in the system because you're not using it, it will go back into the system and we will make more money on it. Okay, right? that's fine. Except they changed the rates, didn't they? It's a one-way contract. Meaning Southern California Edison or the Department of Water and Power, LAWDWP has been so... I don't know if the word corrupt is the right word. Listen, some of you employees come to me and you use that word. You say that they shut down the gas-generating power plants that would easily help with this recent heat wave. Easily. And, of course, it goes on the electric grid. So whatever happens in Los Angeles could affect Las Vegas. It could affect Tucson, Arizona. It could affect northern L.A. County, even Sacramento and, and San Francisco. Because they add it to the grid. But what ends up happening is because of a woke agenda, and really because they want to keep the prices high, that's the reason. Because they're more greedy than they are uh, ideologically bent. At least most of them. So the left just shuts it down. And then they tell you not to charge your car. Did we tell you that was going to happen? I told you that was going to happen. You guys are not dumb. You you can hear on one side, oh, by the way, you're going to have to not run your dishwasher, but go buy electric car. Oh, no air conditioning, go buy electric car. Oh, but sorry, you can't water your lawn, but we're going to put in 7,500 new homes. Wait a second, you just told me. W- which way is it? So, symbolism over substance is a normal trend. So they put these big windmills up, where outside of Bel Air and Brentwood? Uh, uh, oh, Hollywood Hills, right? They're right up on the hall. Ho- oh, they're not. Though so they got to be right in the middle of Huntington Beach, Redondo Beach, right? Uh, you should just run them right along the coast. I think you should. The wind that comes in off the sea. Oh my gosh! But why don't you do that? Because besides having this big white thing in your in your living room, uh, you know the view outside of your living room window, you get this thing called shadow flicker. Shadow flicker. you got to look it up. Because I was researching it this week, and I thought, oh, what is shadow flicker? I've heard that term. Have you ever seen a plane go by, right, and the sun is just right, so you're in your living room watching a television show or reading a book, and, and there's a living a shadow that runs across the house, right? And you can kind of see it in your window. It runs across the floor of your living room floor and out the other side. Now imagine, for the entire time of daylight, virtually, you have this windmill, the shadow flicker, and as it's going, the sun is is making the shadow. It's like somebody's turning off and on the lights. You have to research this. Look it up. It's like one of your kids is turning the light on and off, on and off, on and off in your bedroom. Can you imagine, like in the summertime, when it's still light on a weekend, maybe you want to sleep in, and all you get is this on-off, on-off. And all of these companies say, oh, it's not that bad. All you have to do is be a thousand feet away. And then there's, there's the, the research and you take a look and people are videotaping it, right? They're using their camera and, and you're watching it inside of their home. And their animals go crazy because the cats will chase it. As you know, cats are crazy anyway. And you watch this and you ask yourself, w- this is supposed to make us healthier and happier? By having this windmill in the middle of, of this farmland. like, wh- Where did that become okay? So I have big concerns with wind turbines. I want to focus on that as well as the solar uh, panels here in a second. But besides, there's of course no reliability for the wind. But you realize the best place for the wind, really the best place... is in between canyons, but it's also where birds, migratory birds, travel. North, south, east, west, wherever they're going. And they do this, guys, in a particular way because uh, it's easier for them. For years they've done this. Right? For years. The birds have come along, they've followed this trail, and they've done this, now running right into a wind turbine. The amount of birds that are dead at the end... So here's what they say that is fascinating to me. A, a lot of uh, uh, experts will say, listen, it's not as bad as the amount of birds that fly into windows. So what should we ban windows? And you go, well, probably not. But what does that mean? So we should kill more birds? Because these, these migratory, these birds that are, are at risk of being extinct. And all of a sudden, what do you have? Well, you have, you have dead birds at the base of these things. And the amount of them that get hit by lightning in the tougher areas, right? The Oklahoma, the, the Texas. And the amount of, look, there, there's a, of course, there's a cost to set them up. And at the end, what do we do with these big turbines? Go out to Palm Springs. Take a look at the wind uh, farm uh, I guess desert, right? The graveyard. They have these huge blades that have been damaged. They're no longer efficient. Cause you know, they have to run a brake on them. Because if you don't, the wind turbines break the sound of, uh, the, the speed of sound, right? It goes, you would hear the popping just like if a jet went by or the space shuttle. You'd hear boom, the speed of sound, a big, uh, sonic boom. So they have to run a brake on it. That's like a clutch, basically, that, that kind of slows it down. By doing so, if you're outside in your backyard, even if you don't have the wind flicker, even if you can't see it, you're going to hear this buzz that never goes away. You're going to hear this buzzing sound that, it's interesting. It's this buzzing sound. I've heard it. And it sounds like somebody is running a fan or a white noise, I guess. And it's this never-ending uh, thing you have to deal with. People find out. Listen, it's like if you live close to a freeway. I grew up close to the five freeway. You know, we were we had a big field, a couple of house rows of houses, but a big field in between us as well. And we would just hear that all the time. The first time we moved in to that house, we were kids, you would hear that. And I remember it kept us awake for the first night or two. After that, we got used to it. Right? But... People get used to a lot of things. doesn't make it right. But that's the way it was. The amount of pollution, noise pollution, that everybody's worried about is a real thing. But what about the disadvantages of solar power? Right, This is pretty fascinating to me. We started researching what are they going to do with all of these chemicals. You've heard of this. But you can go back five, six, seven years when solar panels just started coming out. And me and others were saying, well, wait a second, let's, let's think about this whole cycle, right? Because that's what you're supposed to do with a water bottle. You're supposed to think about the, the cycle of life of this plastic. Can it be recycled? Otherwise, we're not going to make it at the front end if we can't recycle it at the back end, right? They had a plan from the beginning. Anytime a straw is created, right? It's this whole phoniness of why plastic straws shouldn't be used because in the Philippines, they throw them in the ocean. So why should you be able to use a plastic straw? So they don't allow us because there's no completion of the cycle. But heaven forbid you talk about solar panels because there is zero recyclability of solar panels. 20, 25 years ago when solar panels started, they are right about at their their life expectancy. The efficiency is so low, the ability for them to gain uh, energy based on their size. So what a lot of people do is they get the real efficient ones, which are smaller but more expensive, but it has more of the damaging chemicals in it that you and I are not supposed to have. Right? I mean, you, you realize that. Whatever the, the component is, cadmium, there's even some, um, I don't know, there's some lead involved... With the manufacturing of some of these uh, components, that's what concerns me the most. Because the manufacturing of these components happens in third world countries where they don't have the lead uh, reviews, right? Where you're looking at problems happening in oh, I don't know, China and the Philippines, right? People don't care. What about the dependency? on the energy, uh, on the weather being exactly the right. Well, well, sometimes you'll get it, right? And it works really well in foggy temperatures, so I'm okay with all that as well. But I think you have to start thinking through the process and don't fall in line with how the left is... Solyndra, you remember that? President Obama thought that was going to disappear. Solyndra was the big solar company and they transferred $500 million right at the last minute. Well, if you had integrity... You would start looking at some of these things and say, I'm not going to participate in wind energy or solar energy if it's not fitting my values until they fix this or that. Well, that's the same thing with the student loan debacle. You're not going to participate in it. That's fine. Even if they cancel it, you send that money somewhere else. For those of you that went to DeVry and to ITT Tech and some of the other schools, Charter College, and and your loans were forgiven. If you have integrity, then you give that money somewhere else. Prager University, some of those places, that's the key. Thanks for being part of the show. Stay with me. I have your emails next after the break. I'm Eric Halby on the Total Financial Hour, 888-99-RETIRE. We'll be right back. We'll be
0: Thanks to our financial security will help you live the life you dream learn about financial power The total financial hour now higher income strategy learn from Arab Halaby. learn
1: about financial hey welcome back to the show thanks for staying with me the total financial hour I'm Arif Hallaby talking about your family's finances of course getting out of debt managing money planning for the future trying to help you kind of stay above board right uh we, we always kind of bring in some of the the issues that i that i'm finding throughout the week or weeks common denominators that i i find as a problem uh, sometimes you hear errors, uh <laughs> venting for the week my traffic tips for the week which is very simple right it's the ability for you to not drive in the fast lane if you're not Listen, here's here's the rule. I heard this the other day. I thought it was brilliant. If there's nobody in front of you and there's people behind you and you are in the number one lane, which is also known as the fast lane, then you should move to the right. I thought, oh, my gosh, we should put that on a test. <laughs> That's pretty good on a billboard. So, guys, I want you to, to think about for a second the ability for you to save, plan, and create a life financially that's good for you. What is it going to be? Well, it's going to be simple. It's going to be based on income, cash flow, the ability to have money come in every month. Ask yourself this because Arif Halliby, that's me and total financial solutions, TFS financial insurance services. It's very simple. TFS financial insurance services asks you this one question. Would you prefer a million dollars in cash or $10,000 a month for the rest of your life? Now, you might have a visceral reaction and an immediate reaction that's going to drive you down one of the directions, but ask yourself, if you are the $10,000 a month for the rest of your life, does that bring you a level of peace of mind that most other people, or at least other scenarios, doesn't bring? Because remember, most of you are good at managing something. You're managing your paycheck. Your pay raise is 3% a year, 5% a year. Where do most people get into trouble? Most people get into trouble when they receive an inheritance or a huge tax refund or they win the lotto. Right? I told you we have three lotto winners as clients. One of them came to us after they filed bankruptcy twice and then they finally came in because you think that the answer to your problems, as everybody does, is more money. And I'm telling you, that's not what I have found in 26, 27 years of doing this. The answer is not more money. It's being able to handle what you're currently receiving. So you have to ask yourself, if you're trying to handle what you're currently receiving better than, then where do you learn that from? Well, you're going to learn it from taking classes, online courses, reading the right books, changing your mindset. Because it isn't just about math. That is such a small part of the story. That it's really more about your ability to, well, what's a better way of saying it? It's really about your ability to manage the emotions that come with a lot of money, right? When you receive an inheritance, it means somebody passed away, of course. So tied to that is the, the, the greed. It's tied to that is the guilt. Tied to that is the shame, whatever it might be that goes with that relationship that used to be there. Right. Oh, I wish I would have spent that last Christmas with them or I wanted to do this, but I never, um, you know, I never did tell them how I really felt. And so now you receive money and you feel like I don't deserve it. But realize somebody worked for this money. They walked down the journey. They were going to spend it someday and they couldn't and they stopped. And because they passed away, they had to look and find somebody else to give it to before they did. And they said, that's going to be you. So your ability to care for and respect an inheritance, in my opinion, is much greater than the effort, the money that you worked for. Your own money, fine. Spend it how you want to spend it. It's not the same. It's not treated the same. It should never be treated the same emotionally as if you were to be somebody who, who worked for it. Right? Oh, uh, listen, I used to have a paper route when I was 11 years old. The daily news. Remember that the green sheet, the daily news. I delivered the newspaper, and in that period of time, I had to get up really early because you have to get up in in the morning. I don't know. If it was still dark out. Four thirty, five o'clock, whatever. You're tying the papers with rubber bands, flipping them over my shoulder, tying them, flipping them over. However many papers I did, I don't recall. And then we'd have to deliver those newspapers. And then I don't know if we'd ever come back and go back to sleep. I don't think so because it would be daylight. It just meant that I went to sleep earlier that, that next night, right? So then ask yourself this, if that's really the case, if, if an 11-year-old could figure out what hard work is and the discipline to go to sleep so I could wake up, to wake up and deliver a paper, to realize somebody counted on me to be there for them that day, they counted on me to, to deliver their newspaper, then I had to go collect the money. And the money wasn't mine. It belonged to the daily news. I got my portion of it, however the gentleman paid me. I don't remember. But I would deliver the papers, and then I would, very important, deliver the money at 11 years old. So what are you doing with your 11-year-old? Right? They should be mowing lawns, sweeping something, uh, raking leaves, picking up trash. I I I don't know, recycling program, if that's your thing. You find a way to have your young kids because that's the discipline that happens. Now they don't feel guilty or ashamed when they start having money because they've earned money. They didn't just get it for existing, right? They're not pets. They have to produce. They have to work. I don't know if 11 years old is too young or too old. All I know is I just had a paper out because I liked making money and I liked working and I didn't mind it. And I felt like I was helping out the family, even though I probably kept the money. I don't remember giving it to, to my parents to help with an electric bill or something. I just remember keeping it. But there was a there's a pride that goes with it. It's why farmers, right? Kids that grew up on a farm have much greater discipline and work ethic than kids that grow up in the city. Right? There's a selfishness that goes with it. Fast forward when that person inherits money, there's a a deep level of guilt. Everybody wants it. Oh yeah, yeah, a million dollars, give me that million. But there's a peace of mind that comes With knowing you're worthy of it. So here's a letter. Here's a letter from. From a client. Or from a a listener rather. Okay. I think you better listen carefully because I have seen that this is happening more and more and more. And it's probably you. Some variation of it. All right. Eleanor, I guess she goes by Ellie because she talks about that in in a big part of it. Remember, I kind of condensed this a little bit so it works. So here's Eleanor and Fred. Dear Arif, I've been divorced for 19 years. My partner has also been divorced over 20 years. We've been together for nearly 15. He is 69 years old and I'm 68. My ex-husband still pays me alimony as we were married for nearly 30 years. I also got our home at that time during the divorce. I have since sold it and we bought a house together, Ele- Eleanor and Fred. Now they're not married, but they're living together. Very common now in their sixties. It's, it's surprising. It's different. Fred has a pension and, it, and uses it to contribute to our joint household bills. We both also receive social security. I don't think I can pay the bills alone if he passes away before me. We both have retirement accounts. His is about 450000 and mine is almost two hundred and eighty. Is there a way for me to be sure that I don't lose the house if he dies first? Since we don't owe any money on the house, I do not want to lose my down payment. He does not have any children, and I have two daughters. Okay, well, you don't owe any money on the house. I understand you don't want to lose it, but the good news is... Property taxes, of course, they're going to keep going up, but property taxes, uh, and and utilities, those maintenance repairs, those kinds of things are still going to cost you quite a bit. Now, you guys didn't indicate exactly how much in social security, but I want to talk more structurally. Okay. So Eleanor and Fred, they've been together for nearly 15 years. They're both in their late sixties. Probably one of the reasons they're not married is Eleanor still receives alimony from her ex-husband. Because they were married 30 years, that's a lot of money to to give up if she stops, whatever it is. She also received the home in the divorce. That means he probably had big chunks of uh, retirement accounts or a pension that he got to keep. They sold the house, so her contribution to the bucket, if you will, was they bought a house together. That means they have a home that they both share. Now, here's the big part of this, guys. They both have retirement accounts and he does not have any children. Now, here's the pros and cons of this. Number one, if you are living together, if you have a home, if you're not married, right? But you and I, sister, brother, uh, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it is, if you're not married and you own a home together, consider titling the house with joint tenants with right of survivorship. Versus tenants in common. Now, what that means is something simple. If you have joint tenants with right of survivorship, that means you each own 100% of the house. So if one of you passes away, the house doesn't disappear into probate. And the lawyers make all the money. And the state of California makes all the money. If it's tenants in common, T-I-C, a tick, tenants in common, that means each of you own 50% or whatever percentage You indicate, but usually it's 50-50. So if me and my sister or brother-in-law own a house together, right? I put my portion in, he puts his portion in, and we bought a house, we might be tenants in common. The reason is because my portion, my 50%, I would want to go to my beneficiaries if I pass away. So my beneficiaries and him are now partners in this house. With joint tenants of right of survivorship, Each of you own 100%. So when one passes away, 100% of the ownership goes to the other person. So I would do that if the goal is to make sure that the house is available for each of you to live. Because here's a phenomenon that we're finding. More and more, our clients, we are getting the women dying first. I know know that it sounds a little bit, I don't know, almost like not true in, in the sense that how can that be? But we are finding this happening more and more. I don't know if the statistics have caught up with the reality yet, but in our practice, it isn't a foregone conclusion that the man is going to die first, even if there's a a larger age difference, right? We have seen this over and over where there's a few years and she, she gets cancer or she dies a, a different way. So please keep in mind that, I know that we're building our plans because sometimes this guy's most of the time, at least statistically, we pass first, but it's not always the case. So, Eleanor, you may not pass first or you might, but no matter what, if you do joint tenants with right of survivorship, both of you own the house. Now, if you title the house with tenants in common, and all of this is going to be done through a lawyer, I'm giving you just general basic advice, right? Basic info, rather. If you're going to title it with tenants in common, then what I want you to do is to make sure that your portion goes to if it goes to your kids, that there be something called a life estate. Now you can put that in a living trust, which means your daughters, their partners with him in that house. He has to pay the bills, taxes, insurance, etc. And then when he dies, the entire house or whatever portion the girls end up owning. Maybe he makes the girls the beneficiary. So they get the entire home, but he is allowed to live there as long as he is alive. Okay. Your two daughters are owners, but they can't cash it in until after he passes away. Okay. Very important. You know that because if not, sometimes the other partners can say, I want my house. I want my money. Give me my money. Buy me out. Well, if he doesn't have a job or enough income to purchase out the other person, well, they have to sell a house, which means he loses his home. And whether the economy is up or the stock market is down or real estate market is up or real estate market is down, tough luck. I want my money, sell a house. So that can be a challenge to the surviving person, a lot more stress. So partners together, we're seeing that more and more common. Here's some other info that might be important to you. You could use an income annuity where the other person is the beneficiary of that retirement account, the 450 or the 280, which gives an income stream to the survivor, meaning that that can make up for some of the expenses that are paid for by the other person, right? So let's say Eleanor passes first and he says, well, I want to keep the house, but I can't afford it. Well, Eleanor would have that 280000 put that into an account. We might even be able to receive a bonus on it, get a little extra bump, like a matching. It now goes into the account, and it starts to pay him monthly, as if she was there. Because if you're not married, the Social Security check of the other person is completely irrelevant. It goes away, disappears, bye-bye. Now, if you choose to be married, sometimes people do this at the last minute, right? You guys will get married two months before you, one of you passes away. If that happens, and the Social Security rules allow for each of you to receive the higher of the two, right? So let's say, Eleanor, your Social Security check's lower. I don't know. Let's just say 1500 a month. And Fred's is 2500 a month. Well, if you pass away, he keeps his. But if he passes away, you lose the 2500 a month. But if you're married, you get to jump up to that number. You lose the lower of the two, you make up the difference. So, that's only if you're married, though. I understand that alimony from your ex-husband will disappear. Usually that's the case, anyway. If you remarry. That's why a lot of people don't remarry. They want the pension, they want the social security... Uh, sorry, the, uh, the alimony check. So, that's why they do it. We see that all the time. Well, Fred's social... Uh, sorry, Fred's pension you may often not be able to put a beneficiary on it. Follow me with this for just a second. Many pensions said you had to be married, sometimes for six months, sometimes for a year, before you quit or retired from your job. So you're getting ready to retire. You've been with this girlfriend for a long time. She's never going to receive your pension unless you marry. Stay there for one year and a day. Now you can retire. There were some pensions that way. Other pensions say, As long as you put her on as the beneficiary the day you retire, right? When you complete your paperwork, you can do that. Many pensions don't care if you are older, marry at a later age. That person doesn't receive your pension. Tough luck. So you have to ask the pension folks, who gets the money? What if I die? Is there a beneficiary to it? Since Fred doesn't have any children, he probably didn't put... Anybody down, maybe, maybe you, because you guys have been together 15 years. That means he was 54 or so, 54 when he, when you met. So he may have put you as the beneficiary back then. I don't know. So you have to ask yourself, is this the right, you know, right way to build up my, my future by using this kind of protection. Here's another way. Soon in the next couple of years, two or three years, you're going to have to turn on your retirement accounts as an income. Okay. Cause it's called required minimum distribution. I think the IRS might be moving, Sorry. The uh, Congress might be moving that up to age 73, maybe 74 coming up. We'll see if they do. If they do, then that means you, you have to start your income, but at age 73, 74 today, it's still at age 72. So at age 72, you got to start an income stream. So here's an option. Start it now. And if you start it now, you can use that extra amount that you don't need. Because right now you guys haven't taken any money out of there. At least you didn't indicate such. So what if you were to use that income stream to buy a life insurance policy where each of you are the beneficiaries to the other? You're not going to buy a whole lot because you're in your 60s. But if you would qualify, you could buy a pretty good chunk. It might be enough to, to... replace your retirement accounts. For example, it might be enough to satisfy Eleanor's two daughters. So they could say, well, listen, at least I received some money. I'll wait for him to pass away before I get the house. But I did receive something. Right. Cause you've heard me say, I don't want the kids to receive the retirement accounts because they have to take it out within a period of time and it's taxed and it's, it's a horrible situation But if it's the only thing you have, then it's then great. Give it to the kids. Something is better than nothing. But here's what I'm seeing on a regular basis. When you guys are living together and you're not married often, it's not always, but often your kids aren't super thrilled about the new spouse in your life, right? Or partner, whatever you call each other. But if you ever remarry, some of these rules disappear and they're to your benefit because that's the way the system works. Right Right now, the systems are in your favor if you remarry. Okay, last thing I want to touch on before we go to, to break here because it's important. If you are paying or receiving alimony, you need to go and understand with your attorney, your divorce lawyer, and if your divorce attorney is gone, then you've got to find another one. Somebody, and Yes, you're going to pay for it you need to ask yourself or ask them, when can this go away? Because if my ex-husband dies before me, does that alimony check also die? Because this could put you guys into a world of hurt. Now you might use that as a signal to go get married because there's no reason in this case to keep those dollars away. Right? Cause, cause he's passed away. So If you have alimony you're receiving from somebody, ask your divorce attorney, doesn't matter your age, can I get a life insurance policy on my ex-husband to protect that alimony check because he's older than me, or he's less healthy than me, or, or chances are he's going to die before me or whatever the case might be. And you need that alimony to live. That's part of your life. And it has to be a life insurance policy that you own. Not your ex-husband. Now, this is often done. This is the trick that's done. This is the way, the strategy, whatever you want to call it, that's done, which is to have it owned by the man. Because the moment he's getting sick or he's getting a little older, he can switch the beneficiary on that. And it can be his new girlfriend or his neighbor or whoever it is. I want you to own the policy. By you owning the policy, that means you control who the beneficiary is. All right? He has to sit for the medical exam. Whoever pays for it, you can negotiate that as you go. You can decide who that is. But that person that owns it controls everything. Okay? Keep that in mind. That's a big part of the process as you're trying to build a plan uh, to, to see how much, oh gosh, how much time is left. With your alimony checks, maybe you only get six six more years of it. Maybe you're in a position to where, hey, you know what? I'll tell you what. You can keep my alimony check if you give me 250000 Right? Maybe later on in life, he's willing to settle up and say, I'll give you a check as long as I don't have to pay you anymore. Now, if that were to happen, you do exactly what I just mentioned. you put it in an income annuity, you get a reasonable uh monthly check out of it, and that doesn't care whether he lives or dies and the beneficiary of that can be whomever you choose because now you control it right you're no longer counting on him to i guess have uh, you know uh, fiscal be fiscally sound because look if your ex husband's Quality of life starts to change if his job quits or, or his health deteriorates or his financial acuity uh, drops and now he's somebody who's losing money and goes back to court and says, well, your honor, I, I know I'm supposed to pay her $3,000 a month. I just don't have it. I got laid off. I just don't have it. I lost my business or I just don't have it. The stock market is down. The real estate market is down. There was a fire and I didn't have health, uh, fire insurance. Right. So there's a lot of reasons that these guys don't pay alimony and it's up to the judge, especially if, and it's the smart thing to do right for him is to put a private investigator on you and to show your honor walks like a duck, talks like a duck, must be a duck. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Well, it's very simple. The judge says, "Oh, you're acting like you're married. You're living in the same house. You're playing married. You you have this. You share your bills. Oh, you're probably married. So if that's the case, guys, then we're going to cut the alimony because we're going to act like you're married. And sometimes you're going to see that. So please be careful if you're trying to plan that. All right, let me give you my number: triple eight ninety nine retire." That's 888-997-3847. Hang, uh, guys, at the end of September, I have the baby boomer movie, The Baby Boomer Dilemma. We're paying for it. I want you to come and see it. Give us a call at 888-99-RETIRE- so you can attend. We come back. I have another email for you. Fascinating, actually. Maybe this is you. Then we come back. The Total Financial Hour. I'm Eric Hallaby. Thanks for being part of the show. We'll be right back. The Total Financial Power.
0: A plan for me. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now
1: higher income strategy.
0: Learn from Arab Halaby.
1: Hey, welcome back Learn to the show. Thanks for being part of it. Power. Talking about your family's finances, of course, getting out of debt, managing money, planning for the future. Wait till you hear this uh, email I'm going to share with you in just a second. We're starting to see this happen more and more. And it, frankly, it's because the generation that's that's alive and or passing away now uh, were were ones that actually started putting into the stock market, right? Uh, think about it for just a minute. If you were born in 1940, by the time you were 20, it was 1960. Okay, 1960 comes along, you're not putting money, you're not saving money, you're trying to build a life, get married, or go to college, or save up money, or buy your first, second car, whatever it is. Now, nineteen that's 1960. Now, 1970 comes along, you're 30. Okay, maybe you're married, maybe one or two little kids. Your future is about tomorrow and the diapers that you have to buy this weekend at the store, and that, that's your future, that's your thought process back then when you're at that age. Okay, now you're in 1980s. And now you're 40 and you're going, ooh, I'm getting old. I'm starting to think about this, this future, this retirement thing. What is that, uh, the stock market thing again? That 401k, I saw that my boss, they're doing some sort of matching. Since they took away our pension, what's that new thing? So 70 million plus baby boomers started putting into the stock market, or at least having the ability to put into the market through the 80s, 90s, and even 2000s. As they're doing that, you're buying shares. So you're buying and buying and buying and buying. So that means there's more people buying than are selling. Because the greatest generation, right, which would be your parents, the people that fought World War II, it's called the greatest generation. I think Tom Brokaw coined that phrase. So you have the greatest generation, the people that, Dug up, you know, from the, with the bootstraps as they call it. They fought in World War II. They they put together a plan to kind of change and save the world, and they did it. Great. Well, they didn't have money in the market. Their job. What five or ten percent of them maybe went to college? Not very many. That's why it mattered back then. Today, everybody goes to college, or at least ten years ago, everybody went to college. Eh, it's nice. It's not that important. What's your degree in? It doesn't matter. It just I just went. Right. Some employers still care. Oh, uh, college degree required. Fine. For what? They don't say what it's in. They don't say what grade you had to receive. They didn't say, well, how many times did you get drunk? How many times did you party at the fraternity or the sorority? They just said college degree required. They didn't say, did you get caught cheating or did you ever cheat? Which most students admit to doing. So, all right, fine. These people, baby boomers, you guys are putting into the market. Right. You started doing it. It became a thing. So what is happening in this process is the parents are retiring. And they give you a house. They bought the house in 1962 for $40,000, uh, $26,000. And today they pass away and it's worth a million so that the folks born in 1940, they inherited their parents' house, maybe they kept it and sold it for 300,000 back in 1992 or whatever, or maybe they uh, and or maybe it was sold early. Uh, the point is your parents' generation, the greatest generation, didn't have anything in the stock market, very little. They didn't have 401k's, they didn't exist. Well, when Wall Street decides the market is the place to be, And the people that put money in the market, it's better if we take it from you before you ever see it called from your paycheck. So this thing called a 401k plan was invented this thing, because where is it found in the IRS called 401 subsection K that's it. A few years later, teachers, nonprofit hospital workers, they said, we want one. So yours is called a four Oh three B as in boy, right? It's a few years later. So it's after that a few years later, uh, City, state, county workers said, we want one, too. It's called a 457. Okay? Deferred compensation, 457. And there's 457 D and H. You know, there's just subsections. But I want you to get the idea, the, the consistency of the development of these plans where Wall Street says, and where should you put your money in the market? So wealthy people had very little of their money. Affluent people had very little of their money in the market through their retirement accounts. They had money in the market outside of their retirement accounts. So here's why that matters. Because when the rules were written, it says if you have money in the market and you leave it to your children or anybody, they have to pay taxes on it. If I have money in the market, but it's not under my retirement account, it's just in my brokerage account, right? and I own the same stock bond mutual fund that is uh, that my neighbor owns, but they have it underneath their retirement account, then I had to pay a little tax in some cases along the way. But when I pass away, my kids pay zero income tax on that money. Same value, zero income tax. Yes, I might have paid a little bit along the way, but I wrote it off. You had deductions and losses. So if I had put in a total of 200000 over my my life, and it's worth $1 million. and my neighbor who's working for the city, county, state, hospital, school district, for-profit company, whatever, and puts 200000 over their lifetime in the market, and it's worth $1 million when they pass away, their kids have to pay tax on all $1 million. My kids, zero. Who makes the rules? Rich or poor people. All right, let's get back to baby boomers. Now they're putting money in because it's convenient and there's a matching, meaning the employer says, well, if I don't have to pay into your pension, because that doesn't exist anymore, I will give you some money and have it go into your account. So I'll put money in, you put money in. Guess what you just did to my stock, says affluent man or woman, is you just made it go up in value because there's more people buying than are selling. So that's what they did. So now we go along the way and the baby boomers are inheriting something. Usually it's a house of some sort. Some of them kept it, did well. Some of them sold it. But now the folks born in the 1940s, now they're starting to pass away. And as that's happening, as that baby boomer generation is starting to pass away and they put money in the market because that's what they were told to do especially if they thought they did something, right? It went up. Look how smart I am. It went up. It went up. I did it. No, you just went to work every two weeks, did what you were paid to do, did a good job because they kept you and you put money in and they put money in. Good job. But what happens when all of a sudden your kids now inherit that money? What happens if your spouse inherits that money? Well, I think you guys have to realize something does happen and it's a different world because remember if affluent people, what do they leave real estate to their children? They leave life insurance to their children. They leave brokerage accounts that are not part of uh, a retirement account to their kids. What do the poor and middle-class do? They leave their retirement accounts to their children. Now, I said poor and middle class. You thought I said bad. I'm telling you no. You can say bad if you want. That's your business. Working people that make make the backbone of this country work, right? It's the reason that these elites that went to these universities, right? This is the tail end, right? The tail end of any movement, politically speaking, is always the most dangerous. The beginning and the tail end. The middle is always steeped in in mystery because the middle happens behind the scenes, right? The indoctrination of these school teachers. Now they're exposed because we were working from home. COVID kids are on the on the computer and parents walk by going, what the heck is she teaching? uh Oh, education is exposed. College students come out and they're completely different than their parents. Parents scratch their head. They don't compare notes with a lot of people. They just go, huh, something happened to my daughter while she was at school. That's weird. Well, now we're in the tail end of that. All of that is exposed. And nobody is shamed. Nobody is hiding. You heard me. The Jackson, Mississippi mayor, we're going to radicalize this country. We're going to radicalize this city. And he can't even provide fresh water. He's only been in office for what? Oh, five years. What has he done for five? You could have built a a freaking aqueduct from here to Timbuktu in five years. And instead, he let his citizens down. I promise you. He is living very nicely and doesn't have to worry about the same things that everybody else does. But I digress. When you think about this, you think about, it's not just the rich making the rules anymore. It's the, or the affluent rather, even it's the quote elite. It's the people that think they're smarter than you and me. It's the people that are taking for granted that they've layered during the middle of this movement They put people in place. First, second, third, fourth, fifth in charge of the FBI. First, second, third, fourth, fifth in charge of the three letter agencies that we supposedly have 17 or 20 of them. So when the president, mayor, governor comes in and kicks out one or two, well, the rest are, quote, civil service protected. You can't just fire me. I'm a worker person. Okay. Well, there's only a four- or eight-year term or whatever's next, and the next person comes in. That's why I'm way against, not a little bit, but way against term limits. Well, these guys get embedded in. Yes, they do. I've seen senators that shouldn't be there anymore. But the alternative is what? Having the bureaucrats? Having the workers? The state of California has term limits for its state assembly people, I had a friend of mine that, that was up in uh, Sacramento. And he was on the Republican side and the Democrat side. This is when you had to negotiate to get things done. Now the Democrats control everything. Democrats control the entire state. Every agency, by the way. And they have what's called a supermajority. So one hundred. the only thing a Republican does in the state is says, uh, No. No. And your vote? No. Because even if a Republican comes up with a good idea today... The, the speaker takes it, puts somebody else's name on it, no kidding, removes your name, and it was as if it was never your idea to begin with. So the freshman or the one who's pretty much a dork as far as state legislatures go, and there's plenty of them, this isn't the place to use their names, but I could. What do they do? They just sit there and have this the, the Senate uh, leadership or the or the Assembly leadership put their name on it. Okay, so many years ago when it required both to sit down together, the leader on the Democrats, the leader on the Republican side of this particular committee come together, they have this idea, they take it to their staff and say, okay, write it up. And the staff said, wait a second, we're not going to write this up. But what do you mean? I am the state assemblyman, write it up, put the legislative language in it, make it work. I already discussed with the other side here's the what we're going to give here's what we're going to take. And the legislative aid, the director of legislation for that person said, "Well, I'm not going to do that because if listen, you're going to be gone in the next term limits. I have a whole career here in Sacramento. I'm not going anywhere. And if I put my name on this, I will never be hired again in this in this uh, this body." So, You're going to be gone in the next 15 minutes, politically speaking. I have a 30-year career before I get my pension. So I'm not going to put my name on it. And both sides said this. Both sides said, we are not going to do what we're supposed to do. Now, you might say, "Well, well, that person should have been fired. Fine, they would have gone down the hall and gone somewhere else. Or just waited, got a job in some agency or something, or a lobbyist organizations, just waited a few minutes until you're voted out. Okay. That's important because I'm not a fan. I'm telling you for those reasons, I'm not a fan of the, uh, of term limits because I heard that firsthand from that person. Okay. So consider this now. Rules are passed. They're created by wealthy people. They're created so that they can keep retain, build their own wealth. In America, the rules still apply to everybody. They still do. You just have to figure it out. So how do we manage this? How do we create the right kind of wealth when we want to pass it on to our children or our next generation? And should you? Sometimes the answer is no. For some of you, your kids, let's say you have three children. Two of them are pretty good with money. One is horrible with money wherever it says in the Bible or the constitution or whatever book you pay attention to, or the Quran or the Torah, there's nothing that says you treat all of your kids exactly the same, nothing. And the reason is very simple because they're not the same. They're different people. So what I don't want you to do is to think that the answer is if you give one child 20,000, you have to give the other child 20,000 or if you are, Somebody who, who is going to leave $100,000 to this child, you should leave 100000 to each of the others. One of them is disrespectful with their own money. You now have permission from me if you need it, and certainly from anybody, to not treat each other, each child the same. And you need to make it clear now. Hey, guys, I love you all. My love and your ability to manage money do not go hand in hand. I cannot control the way you manage your own money. You don't manage it well. You're a nice person, but you're always in debt. You're a nice person, but you blow your own money on stuff. right? You always drive a new car. You always have a new this. You always have a new that. You're just horrible with money. You still live in an apartment. You still rent. You haven't promoted at your job. You don't save any money. You can go on and on. But one of your kids, if you have three... Statistically speaking, probably is lousy with money and the other two are not. So you have to ask yourself, how much less are they going to respect the money that I worked for? I, I don't know. How much less? Because they don't respect their own effort. They don't have any decency when it comes to managing their own money. How much less is the free money they're going to get from you? I don't know. You just have to ask yourself that. Because chances are, it's not going to be good. So, with that in mind, here's what I want you to listen to. And this is from Stephen. He doesn't say his his, uh, sister's name, but just Stephen. Okay. Dear Eric, our mother passed away last month, and our dad passed away a few years ago. My dad took care of our mom very well. He was an amazing provider and made sure she never needed to worry about money. That's pretty honorable guys. That's what our job is, right? Just to take care of each other. Continuing my sister and I are now the beneficiaries of their accounts and the two rental properties that they had as well. The house my parents had lived in for years is also now ours. We are not sure what happens next as the houses have been paid off for years and the renters are still automatically paying into my parents' old bank account. Can you tell me what you think the next steps are? And this is from Stephen. All right. So I laid out for you, obviously, with this email in mind, what I think is important, which is, remember, they left the houses to their children. That means they get a step up in basis. So let's say the parents bought the houses for $30,000, however many years ago, and today it's worth 800000 They receive all of that $800,000 tax free There's no limit. There's no minimum. It's none of that. It's it. Because it went from parent to child. All right. I love that idea because you take a risk when you buy real estate. Same thing with the stock market, but that's different. The rules, at least, are different. So what happens next? I want you to uh, seek the idea, uh, seek the advice rather of a, of a estate planning attorney to handle the process, the transfer of the houses from uh, the names of your parents, probably your mom now, into your own name, and that's important because it has to. There has to be a continuity. Meaning, let's say it was in your mom and dad's name, and it was just never changed. But your dad passed away many years ago. Now your mom's passed away. There has to be a sequence of changing of the deeds from your dad to your mom, from your mom to you guys. And that is something that a good attorney knows how to do with the county registry, uh, county property office. So that the property taxes are gonna be upgraded. Look, if you're gonna live in the house or one of you is going to live in the house, then you're allowed to get the, the property tax carried forward. It used to be the property tax carried forward no matter whether you live in it or not. Now I think it's a year. You have, a, you have to move into it for at least a year or, or within the next year rather. If you move into it within the next year, you can keep the property tax that your parents had. But I think all of that is going bye-bye. It has to. Because Proposition 13 controlled taxes. And remember, you guys have to vote on taxes. But what the Democrats have figured out is they can create regulatory bodies and agencies that will have jurisdiction over things that don't even make sense. It doesn't matter. You're like, wait a second. Why is the Department of Labor over retirement accounts, right? But my investment account has to, what? But they create these rules so that they are involved. They're the bosses and they make all the money. And then they're going to create a law. Ready for this? I believe the department, uh, sorry, I believe the property tax world is going to change dramatically in the state. And they're not going to call it property tax. No, 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 no. Your property taxes, that stays the same. This is called a regulatory licensing usage fee for whatever it's exactly what they're going to do so they're going to create this fee just like your car registration car registration licensing fee what's the difference (laughs) nothing it leaves my pocket and goes to gavin newsom's piggy bank So uh, it doesn't matter to me what you call it. You can call it licensing fee registration. You can call it property tax. You can call it usage fee, but they're going to start taxing your property. In fact, they already have. If you look at your tax bill, so property tax, you're going to have to meet with an attorney, in my opinion, and kind of lay out where you fit. But here's the other part. And this is a big thing. Your parents left you guys as the beneficiaries for their retirement accounts, and that's great. But here's the trade-off. When a retirement account is left to a spouse, then it acts as if it's been that spouse's the entire time. It's now my account. I can take money out. I cannot just my own. the Whatever rules apply to me now apply to that account as if it was always my money. Husband, wife, and maybe husband, husband, and wife, wife in this state now. So that is a, that's the trade-off. Okay. But when you have non-spouse beneficiaries, so you have children, they have to take out the money within 10 years. There's a rule. So 10 years and 10 minutes, it has to be down to zero. And if your mom and dad were already taking money out of that retirement account, if they were already in the process of withdrawing funds, then you have to continue to withdraw funds. But 10 years and 10 minutes, it has to be down to zero. Now, if they passed away prior to age 72, then you have a bit more leeway. But still, no matter what, 10 years and 10 minutes, that account is down to zero. My problem with you guys is this, with this process rather, is you might have a great job, you might have good income, but now you're forced to take taxable income into your tax return. And when you meet with your CPA, because your CPA is going to have to make these decisions for you, again, I'm giving you guidelines and, and ideas, but You now have to pay higher income tax on the other money that you earned for the rest of the year, your own job, your own career, your bonuses, your dividends, you sold a house, whatever you did in your own financial life, add in this new chunk of money. Now, if you're unsuccessful, if you're the kid who can't manage money, right, then you're not going to have extra income that's going to be taxed. But that's the six of one half dozen of the other. Right. You're right back. Okay, great. Susie doesn't have any money because she's broke all the time, but we just left her money. Guess what? She's going to spend your money in 15 minutes because a poor person will always be poor if they don't change their mindset. I didn't say bad, but ask yourself, add up how much money you've made in your life, guys. A million dollars, 50,000 a year times 20 years. And you have $860 in your savings account. My point is if Susie has $860 in her savings account and she's made more than a million dollars in her life, she's going to disregard your money like nobody's business. So you can create a trust before your kids, before you pass away, you create a living trust that trust can distribute the funds, can roll out the money over the course of time and regulate it and create rules and laws and, and, uh, that, that, that cover the money. To protect you guys, to keep you from making big mistakes when you want to leave it to your children. And if you're the recipient of the money, Stephen, like you guys are, keep this in mind as well. You guys get those funds, but you're going to have to pay taxes on it. The house is no. R- retirement accounts, yes. Okay, because you're not spousal IRAs, you're not the, the spousal beneficiaries, rather. Hey, guys, thanks for listening. I hope that's helpful. My name is Arif Hallaby, The total financial hour, sitting down, kind of giving you peace of mind. You can go to tfswealth.com, tfswealth.com. Send me an e- email at arif at tfswealth.com. Thanks for listening. 888-997-3847. That's our phone number, 888-99-RETIRED. For reliable retirement income. I'm Arif Halaby.
0: Learn from learn about financial power the total
1: finance